Section four of Eugenie Grandet by Honoré de Balzac. Translated by Catherine Prescott Warmly. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Section four. When the four relations were left alone, Monsieur Grandet said to his nephew, We must go to bed. It is too late to talk about the matters which have brought you here. Tomorrow we will take a suitable moment. We breakfast at eight o'clock, at midday we eat a little fruit or a bit of bread and drink a glass of white wine, and we dine, like the Parisians, at five o'clock. That's the order of the day. If you like to go and see the town and the environs, you are free to do so. You will excuse me if my occupations do not permit me to accompany you. You may, perhaps, hear people say that I am rich, Monsieur Grandet this, Monsieur Grandet that. I let them talk their gossip does not hurt my credit but i have not a penny i work in my old age like an apprentice whose worldly goods are a bad plane and two good arms perhaps you'll soon know yourself what a franc costs when you have got to sweat for it nanon where are the candles i trust my nephew that you will find all you want said madame grandet but if you should need anything else you can call nanon my dear aunt i shall need nothing i have i believe brought everything with me permit me to bid you good-night and my young cousin also charles took a lighted wax candle from nanon's hand an anjou candle very yellow in colour and so shop-worn that it looked like tallow and deceived monsieur grandet who incapable of suspecting its presence under his roof did not perceive this magnificence i will show you the way he said instead of leaving the hall by the door which opened under the archway grandet ceremoniously went through the passage which divided the hall from the kitchen a swing door furnished with a large oval pane of glass shut this passage from the staircase so as to fend off the cold air which rushed through it but the north wind whistled none the less keenly in winter and in spite of the sandbags at the bottom of the doors of the living-room the temperature within could scarcely be kept at a proper height nanon went to bolt the outer door then she closed the hall and let loose a wolf-dog whose bark was so strangled that he seemed to have laryngitis this animal noted for his ferocity recognized no one but nanon the two untutored children of the fields understood each other when charles saw the yellow smoke-stained walls of the well of the staircase where each worm-eaten step shook under the heavy footfall of his uncle his expectations began to sober more and more he fancied himself in a hen-roost his aunt and cousin to whom he turned an inquiring look were so used to the staircase that they did not guess the cause of his amazement and took the glance for an expression of friendliness which they answered by a smile that made him desperate why the devil did my father send me to such a place he said to himself when they reached the first landing he saw three doors painted in etruscan red and without casings doors sunk in the dusty walls and provided with iron bars which in fact were bolts each ending with the pattern of a flame as did both ends of the long sheath of the lock the first door at the top of the staircase which opened into a room directly above the kitchen was evidently walled up in fact the only entrance to that room was through grandet's bedchamber the room itself was his office the single window which lighted it on the side of the court was protected by a lattice of strong iron bars 
no one not even madame grandet had permission to enter it the old man chose to be alone like an alchemist in his laboratory there no doubt some hiding-place had been ingeniously constructed there the title deeds of property were stored there hung the scales on which to weigh the louis there were devised by night and secretly the estimates the profits the receipts so that business men finding grandet prepared at all points imagined that he got his cue from fairies or demons there no doubt while nanon's loud snoring shook the rafters while the wolf-dog watched and yawned in the courtyard while madame and mademoiselle grandet were quietly sleeping came the old cooper to cuddle to con over to caress and clutch and clasp his gold the walls were thick the screens sure he alone had the key of this laboratory where so people declared he studied the maps on which his fruit trees were marked and calculated his profits to a vine and almost to a twig the door of eugenie's chamber was opposite to the walled-up entrance to this room at the other end of the landing were the apartments of the married pair which occupied the whole front of the house madame grandet had a room next to that of eugenie which was entered through a glass door the master's chamber was separated from that of his wife by a partition and from the mysterious strong-room by a thick wall pere grandet lodged his nephew on the second floor in the high mansard attic which was above his own bedroom so that he might hear him if the young man took it into his head to go and come when eugenie and her mother reached the middle of the landing they kissed each other for good-night then with a few words of adieu to charles cold upon the lips but certainly very warm in the heart of the young girl they withdrew into their own chambers here you are in your room my nephew said pere grandet as he opened the door if you need to go out call nanon without her beware the dog would eat you up without a word sleep well good-night ah why they have made you a fire he cried at this moment nanon appeared with the warming-pan here's something more said monsieur grandet do you take my nephew for a lying-in woman carry off your brazier nanon but monsieur the sheets are damp and this gentleman is as delicate as a woman well go on as you've taken it into your head said grandet pushing her by the shoulders but don't set things on fire so saying the miser went downstairs grumbling indistinct sentences charles stood aghast in the midst of his trunks after casting his eyes on the attic walls covered with that yellow paper sprinkled with bouquets so well known in dance-houses on the fireplace of ribbed stone whose very look was chilling on the chairs of yellow wood with varnished cane-seats that seemed to have more than the usual four angles on the open night-table capacious enough to hold a small sergeant-at-arms on the meagre bit of rag-carpet beside the bed on the tester whose cloth valance shook as if devoured by moths it was about to fall he turned gravely to la grande nanon and said look here my dear woman just tell me am i in the house of monsieur grandet formerly mayor of saumur and brother to monsieur grandet of paris yes monsieur and a very good a very kind a very perfect gentleman shall i help you to unpack your trunks 
faith yes if you will my old trooper didn't you serve in the marines of the imperial guard ho oh, ho laughed nanon what's that the marines of the guard is it salt does it go in the water here get me my dressing-gown out of that valise there's the key nanon was wonderstruck by the sight of a dressing-gown made of green silk brocaded with gold flowers of an antique design are you going to put that on to go to bed with she asked yes holy virgin what a beautiful altar-cloth it would make for the parish church my dear darling monsieur give it to the church and you'll save your soul if you don't you'll lose it oh how nice you look in it i must call mademoiselle to see you come nanon if nanon you are hold your tongue let me go to bed i'll arrange my things to-morrow if my dressing-gown pleases you so much you shall save your soul i'm too good a christian not to give it to you when i go away and you can do what you like with it nanon stood rooted to the ground gazing at charles and unable to put faith into his words good-night nanon what in the world have i come here for thought charles as he went to sleep my father is not a fool my journey must have some object pshaw put off serious thought till the morrow as some greek idiot said blessed virgin how charming he is my cousin eugenie was saying interrupting her prayers which that night at least were never finished madame grandet had no thoughts at all as she went to bed she heard the miser walking up and down his room through the door of communication which was in the middle of the partition like all timid women she had studied the character of her lord just as the petrel foresees the storm she knew by imperceptible signs when an inward tempest shook her husband and at such times to use an expression of her own she feigned dead grandet gazed at the door lined with sheet-iron which he lately put to his sanctum and said to himself what a crazy idea of my brother to bequeath his son to me a fine legacy i have not fifty francs to give him what are fifty francs to a dandy who looked at my barometer as if he meant to make firewood of it in thinking over the consequences of that legacy of anguish grandet was perhaps more agitated than his brother had been at the moment of writing it i shall have that golden robe thought nanon who went to sleep tricked out in her altar-cloth dreaming for the first time in her life of flowers embroidery and damask just as eugenie was dreaming of love in the pure and monotonous life of young girls there comes a delicious hour when the sun sheds its rays into their soul when the flowers express their thoughts when the throbbings of the heart send upward to the brain their fertilizing warmth and melt all thoughts into a vague desire day of innocent melancholy and of dulcet joys when babes begin to see they smile when a young girl first perceives the sentiment of nature she smiles as she smiled when an infant if light is the first love of life is not love a light to the heart the moment to see within the veil of earthly things had come for eugenie an early riser like all provincial girls she was up betimes and said her prayers and then began the business of dressing 
a business which henceforth was to have a meaning first she brushed and smoothed her chestnut hair and twisted its heavy masses to the top of her head with the utmost care preventing the loose tresses from straying and giving to her head a symmetry which heightened the timid candour of her face for the simplicity of these accessories accorded well with the innocent sincerity of its lines as she washed her hands again and again in the cold water which hardened and reddened the skin she looked at her handsome round arms and asked herself what her cousin did to make his hands so softly white his nails so delicately curved she put on new stockings and her prettiest shoes she laced her corset straight without skipping a single eyelet and then wishing for the first time in her life to appear to advantage she felt the joy of having a new gown well made which rendered her attractive as she finished her toilet the clock of the parish church struck the hour to her astonishment it was only seven the desire of having plenty of time for dressing carefully had led her to get up too early ignorant of the art of retouching every curl and studying every effect eugenie simply crossed her arms sat down by the window and looked at the courtyard the narrow garden and the high terraced walls that overtopped it a dismal hedged-in prospect yet not wholly devoid of those mysterious beauties which belong to solitary or uncultivated nature near the kitchen was a well surrounded by a curb with a pulley fastened to a bent iron rod clasped by a vine whose leaves were withered reddened and shrivelled by the season from thence the tortuous shoots straggled to the wall clutched it and ran the whole length of the house ending near the woodpile where the logs were ranged with as much precision as the books in a library the pavement of the courtyard showed the black stains produced in time by lichens herbage and the absence of all movement or friction the thick walls wore a coating of green moss streaked with waving brown lines and the eight stone steps at the bottom of the courtyard which led up to the gate of the garden were disjointed and hidden beneath tall plants like the tomb of a knight buried by his widow in the days of the crusades above a foundation of moss-grown crumbling stones was a trellis of rotten wood half fallen from decay over them clambered and intertwined at will a mass of clustering creepers on each side of the latticed gate stretched the crooked arms of two stunted apple-trees three parallel walks gravelled and separated from each other by square beds where the earth was held in by box borders made the garden which terminated beneath a terrace of the old walls in a group of lindens at the farther end were raspberry bushes at the other near the house an immense walnut tree drooped its branches almost into the window of the miser's sanctum a clear day and the beautiful autumnal sun common to the banks of the loire was beginning to melt the hoar-frost which the night had laid on these picturesque objects on the walls and on the plants which swathed the courtyard eugenie found a novel charm in the aspect of things lately so insignificant to her a thousand confused thoughts came to birth in her mind and grew there as the sunbeams grew without along the wall she felt that impulse of delight vague inexplicable which wraps the moral being as a cloud wraps the physical body her thoughts were all in keeping with the details of this strange landscape and the harmonies of her heart blended with the harmonies of nature 
when the sun reached an angle of the wall where the venus hair of southern climes drooped its thick leaves lit with the changing colors of a pigeon's breast celestial rays of hope illumined the future to her eyes and thenceforth she loved to gaze upon that piece of wall on its pale flowers its blue harebells its wilting herbage with which she mingled memories as tender as those of childhood the noise made by each leaf as it fell from its twig in the void of that echoing court gave answer to the secret questionings of the young girl who could have stayed there the livelong day without perceiving the flight of time then came tumultuous heavings of the soul she rose often went to her glass and looked at herself as an author in good faith looks at his work to criticize it and blame it in his own mind i am not beautiful enough for him such was eugenie's thought a humble thought fertile in suffering the poor girl did not do herself justice but modesty or rather fear is among the first of love's virtues eugenie belonged to the type of children with sturdy constitutions such as we see among the lesser bourgeoisie whose beauties always seem a little vulgar and yet though she resembled the venus of milo the lines of her figure were ennobled by the softer christian sentiment which purifies womanhood and gives it a distinction unknown to the sculptors of antiquity she had an enormous head with the masculine yet delicate forehead of the jupiter of phidias and gray eyes to which her chaste life penetrating fully into them carried a flood of light the features of her round face formerly fresh and rosy were at one time swollen by the smallpox which destroyed the velvet texture of the skin though it kindly left no other traces and her cheek was still so soft and delicate that her mother's kiss made a momentary red mark upon it her nose was somewhat too thick but it harmonized well with the vermilion mouth whose lips creased in many lines were full of love and kindness the throat was exquisitely round the bust well curved and carefully covered attracted the eye and inspired reverie it lacked no doubt the grace which a fitting dress can bestow but to a connoisseur the non-flexibility of her figure had its own charm eugenie tall and strongly made had none of the prettiness which pleases the masses but she was beautiful with a beauty which the spirit recognizes and none but artists truly love a painter seeking here below for a type of mary's celestial purity searching womankind for those proud modest eyes which raphael divined for those virgin lines often due to chances of conception which the modesty of christian life alone can bestow or keep unchanged such a painter in love with his ideal would have found in the face of eugenie the innate nobleness that is ignorant of itself he would have seen beneath the calmness of that brow a world of love he would have felt in the shape of the eyes in the fall of the eyelids the presence of the nameless something that we call divine her features the contour of her head which no expression of pleasure had ever altered or wearied were like the lines of the horizon softly traced in the far distance across the tranquil lakes that calm and rosy countenance margined with light like a lovely full-blown flower 
rested the mind held the eye and imparted the charm of the conscience that was there reflected eugenie was standing on the shore of life where young illusions flower where daisies are gathered with delights ere long to be unknown and thus she said looking at her image in the glass unconscious as yet of love i am too ugly he will not notice me then she opened the door of her chamber which led to the staircase and stretched out her neck to listen for the household noises he is not up she thought hearing nanon's morning cough as the good soul went and came sweeping out the halls lighting her fire chaining the dog and speaking to the beasts in the stable eugenie at once went down and ran to nanon who was milking the cow nanon my good nanon make a little cream for my cousin's breakfast why mademoiselle you should have thought of that yesterday said nanon bursting into a loud peal of laughter i can't make cream your cousin is a darling a darling oh that he is you should have seen him in his dressing-gown all silk and gold i saw him i did he wears linen as fine as the surplice of monsieur le cure nanon please make us a galette and who'll give me wood for the oven and flour and butter for the cakes said nanon who in her function of prime minister to grandet assumed at times enormous importance in the eyes of eugenie and her mother mustn't rob the master to feast the cousin you ask him for butter and flour and wood he's your father perhaps he'll give you some see there he is now coming to give out the provisions eugenie escaped into the garden quite frightened as she heard the staircase shaking under her father's step already she felt the effects of that virgin modesty and that special consciousness of happiness which lead us to fancy not perhaps without reason that our thoughts are graven on our foreheads and are open to the eyes of all perceiving for the first time the cold nakedness of her father's house the poor girl felt a sort of rage that she could not put it in harmony with her cousin's elegance she felt the need of doing something for him what she did not know ingenuous and truthful she followed her angelic nature without mistrusting her impressions or her feelings the mere sight of her cousin had wakened within her the natural yearnings of a woman yearnings that were the more likely to develop ardently because having reached her twenty-third year she was in the plenitude of her intelligence and her desires for the first time in her life her heart was full of terror at the sight of her father in him she saw the master of the fate and she fancied herself guilty of wrong-doing in hiding from his knowledge certain thoughts she walked with hasty steps surprised to breathe a purer air to feel the sun's rays quickening her pulses to absorb from their heat a moral warmth and a new life as she turned over in her mind some stratagem by which to get the cake a quarrel an event as rare as the sight of swallows in winter broke out between la grande nanon and grandet armed with his keys the master had come to dole out provisions for the day's consumption is there any bread left from yesterday he said to nanon not a crumb monsieur grandet took a large round loaf well floured and moulded in one of the flat baskets which they use for baking in anjou and was about to cut it when nanon said to him we are five to-day monsieur that's true said grandet but your loaves weigh six pounds there'll be some left 
besides these young fellows from paris don't eat bread you'll see then they must eat frippe said nanon frippe is a word of the local lexicon of anjou and means any accompaniment of bread from butter which is spread upon it the commonest kind of frippe to peach preserve the most distinguished of all the frippes those who in their childhood have licked the frippe and left the bread will comprehend the meaning of nanon's speech no answered grandet they eat neither bread nor frippe they are something like marriageable girls after ordering the meals for the day with his usual parsimony the good man having locked the closets containing the supplies was about to go towards the fruit garden when nanon stopped him to say monsieur give me a little flour and some butter and i'll make a galette for the young ones are you going to pillage the house on account of my nephew i wasn't thinking any more of your nephew than i was of your dog not more than you think yourself for look here you've only forked out six bits of sugar i want eight what's all this nanon i have never seen you like this before what have you got in your head are you the mistress here you shan't have more than six pieces of sugar well then how is your nephew to sweeten his coffee with two pieces i'll go without myself go without sugar at your age i'd rather buy you some out of my own pocket mind your own business in spite of the recent fall in prices sugar was still in grandet's eyes the most valuable of all the colonial products to him it was always six francs a pound the necessity of economizing it acquired under the empire had grown to be the most inveterate of his habits all women even the greatest ninnies know how to dodge and dodge to get their ends nanon abandoned the sugar for the sake of getting the galette mademoiselle she called through the window do you want some galette no no answered eugenie come nanon said grandet hearing his daughter's voice see here he opened the cupboard where the flour was kept gave her a cupful and added a few ounces of butter to the piece he had already cut off i shall want wood for the oven said the implacable nanon well take what you want he answered sadly but in that case you must make us a fruit tart and you'll cook the whole dinner in the oven in that way you won't need two fires goodness cried nanon you needn't tell me that grandet cast a look that was well-nigh paternal upon his faithful deputy mademoiselle she cried when his back was turned we shall have the galette pere grandet returned from the garden with the fruit and arranged a plateful on the kitchen table just see monsieur said nanon what pretty boots your nephew has what leather why it smells good what does he clean it with i wonder am i to put your egg polish on it nanon i think eggs would injure that kind of leather tell him you don't know how to black morocco yes that's morocco he will get you something himself in saumur to polish those boots with i have heard that they put sugar into the blacking to make it shine they look good to eat said the cook putting the boots to her nose bless me if they don't smell like madame's eau de cologne ah how funny funny said her master do you call it funny to put more money into boots than the man who stands in them is worth monsieur she said when grandet returned the second time after locking the fruit garden won't you have the pot-au-feu put on once or twice a week on account of your nephew yes 
am i to go to the butchers certainly not we will make the broth of fowls the farmers will bring them i shall tell cornoyer to shoot some crows they make the best soup in the world isn't it true monsieur that crows eat the dead you are a fool nanon they eat what they can get like the rest of the world don't we all live on the dead what are legacies Monsieur Grandet, having no further orders to give, drew out his watch, and seeing that he had half an hour to dispose of before breakfast, he took his hat, went and kissed his daughter, and said to her, Do you want to come for a walk in the fields down by the Loire? I have something to do there. Eugenie fetched her straw bonnet, lined with pink taffeta. Then the father and daughter went down the winding street to the shore where are you going at this early hour said cruchot the notary meeting them to see something answered grandet not duped by the matutinal appearance of his friend when pere grandet went to see something the notary knew by experience there was something to be got by going with him so he went come cruchot said grandet you are one of my friends i'll show you what folly it is to plant poplar trees on good ground do you call the sixty thousand francs that you pocketed for those that were in your fields down by the loire folly said maitre cruchot opening his eyes with amazement what luck you have had to cut down your trees at the very time they ran short of whitewood at nantes and to sell them at thirty francs eugenie listened without knowing that she approached the most solemn moment of her whole life and that the notary was about to bring down upon her head a paternal and supreme sentence grandet had now reached the magnificent fields which he owned on the banks of the loire where thirty workmen were employed in clearing away filling up and levelling the spots formerly occupied by the poplars maitre cruchot see how much ground this tree once took up jean he cried to a laborer measure with your rule both ways four times eight feet said the man thirty-two feet lost said grandet to cruchot i had three hundred poplars in this one line isn't that so well then three hundred times the thirty-two lost me five hundred in hay add twice as much for the side rows fifteen hundred the middle rows as much more so we make a call it a thousand b -b bales of hay very good said cruchot to help out his friend a thousand bales are worth about six hundred francs say twelve hundred because there's three or four hundred francs on the second crop well then c calculate that twelve thousand francs a year for f forty years with interest c c comes to say sixty thousand francs said the notary i am willing comes to sixty thousand very good continued grandet without stuttering two thousand poplars forty years old will only yield me fifty thousand francs there's a loss i have found that myself said grandet getting on his high horse jean fill up all the holes except those at the bank of the river there you are to plant the poplars i have bought plant em there and they'll get nourishment from the government he said turning to cruchot and giving a slight motion to the wen on his nose which expressed more than the most ironical of smiles true enough poplars should only be planted on poor soil said cruchot amazed at grandet's calculations yes monsieur answered the old man satirically 
eugenie who was gazing at the sublime scenery of the loire and paying no attention to her father's reckonings presently turned an ear to the remarks of cruchot when she heard him say so you have brought a son-in-law from paris all saumur is talking about your nephew i shall soon have the marriage contract to draw up hey pere grandet you g -g got up very early to t -t tell me that said grandet accompanying the remark with a motion of his when well old comrade i'll be frank and t -t tell you what you want t -t to know i would rather do you see f -f fling my daughter into the loire than g -g give her to her c cousin you may t -t tell that everywhere no never mind let the world t -t talk this answer dazzled and blinded the young girl with sudden light the distant hopes upspringing in her heart bloomed suddenly became real tangible like a cluster of flowers and she saw them cut down and wilting on the earth since the previous evening she had attached herself to charles by those links of happiness which bind soul to soul from henceforth suffering was to rivet them is it not the noble destiny of women to be more moved by the dark solemnities of grief than by the splendours of fortune how was it that fatherly feeling had died out of her father's heart of what crime had charles been guilty mysterious questions already her dawning love a mystery so profound was wrapping itself in mystery she walked back trembling in all her limbs and when she reached the gloomy street lately so joyous to her she felt its sadness she breathed the melancholy which time and events had printed there none of love's lessons lacked a few steps from their own door she went on before her father and waited at the threshold but grandet who saw a newspaper in the notary's hand stopped short and asked how are the funds you never listen to my advice grandet answered cruchot buy soon you will still make twenty per cent in two years besides getting an excellent rate of interest five thousand a year for eighty thousand francs fifty centimes we'll see about that answered grandet rubbing his chin good god exclaimed the notary well what cried grandet and at the same moment cruchot put the newspaper under his eyes and said read that monsieur grandet one of the most respected merchants in paris blew his brains out yesterday after making his usual appearance at the bourse he had sent his resignation to the president of the chamber of deputies and had also resigned his functions as a judge of the commercial courts the failures of monsieur roguin and monsieur souchet his broker and his notary had ruined him the esteem felt for monsieur grandet and the credit he enjoyed were nevertheless such that he might have obtained the necessary assistance from other business houses it is much to be regretted that so honourable a man should have yielded to momentary despair etc i knew it said the old wine-grower to the notary the words sent a chill of horror through maitre cruchot who notwithstanding his impassibility as a notary felt the cold running down his spine as he thought that grandet of paris had possibly implored in vain the millions of grandet of saumur and his son so joyous yesterday he knows nothing as yet answered grandet with the same composure adieu monsieur grandet said cruchot who now understood the state of the case 
and went off to reassure monsieur de bonfons on entering grandet found breakfast ready madame grandet round whose neck eugenie had flung her arms kissing her with the quick effusion of feeling often caused by secret grief was already seated in her chair on castors knitting sleeves for the coming winter you can begin to eat said nanon coming downstairs four steps at a time the young one is sleeping like a cherub isn't he a darling with his eyes shut i went in and i called him no answer let him sleep said grandet he'll wake soon enough to hear ill tidings what is it asked eugenie putting into her coffee the two little bits of sugar weighing less than half an ounce which the old miser amused himself by cutting up in his leisure hours madame grandet who did not dare to put the question gazed at her husband his father has blown his brains out my uncle said eugenie poor young man exclaimed madame grandet poor indeed said grandet he isn't worth a sou eh, poor boy and he's sleeping like the king of the world said nanon in a gentle voice eugenie stopped eating her heart was wrung as the young heart is wrung when pity for the suffering of one she loves overflows for the first time the whole being of a woman the poor girl wept what are you crying about you didn't know your uncle said her father giving her one of those hungry tigerish looks he doubtless threw upon his piles of gold but monsieur said nanon who wouldn't feel pity for the poor young man sleeping there like a wooden shoe without knowing what's coming i didn't speak to you nanon hold your tongue eugenie learned at that moment that the woman who loves must be able to hide her feelings she did not answer you will say nothing to him about it ma'am grandet till i return said the old man i have to go and straighten the line of my hedge along the high road i shall be back at noon in time for the second breakfast and then i will talk with my nephew about his affairs as for you mademoiselle eugenie if it is for that dandy you are crying that's enough child he's going off like a shot to the indies you will never see him again the father took his gloves from the brim of his hat put them on with his usual composure pushed them in place by shoving the fingers of both hands together and went out mamma i am suffocating cried eugenie when she was alone with her mother i have never suffered like this madame grandet seeing that she turned pale opened the window and let her breathe fresh air i feel better said eugenie after a moment this nervous excitement in a nature hitherto to all appearance calm and cold reacted on madame grandet she looked at her daughter with the sympathetic intuition with which mothers are gifted for the objects of their tenderness and guessed all in truth the life of the hungarian sisters bound together by a freak of nature could scarcely have been more intimate than that of eugenie and her mother always together in the embrasure of that window and sleeping together in the same atmosphere my poor child said madame grandet taking eugenie's head and laying it upon her bosom at these words the young girl raised her head questioned her mother by a look and seemed to search out her inmost thought why send him to the indies she said if he is unhappy ought he not to stay with us is he not our nearest relation 
yes my child it seems natural but your father has his reasons we must respect them the mother and daughter sat down in silence the former upon her raised seat the latter in her little armchair and both took up their work swelling with gratitude for the full heart understanding her mother had given her eugenie kissed the dear hand saying how good you are my kind mamma the words sent a glow of light into the motherly face worn and blighted as it was by many sorrows you like him asked eugenie madame grandet only smiled in reply then after a moment's silence she said in a low voice do you love him already that is wrong wrong said eugenie why is it wrong you are pleased with him nanon is pleased with him why should he not please me come mamma let us set the table for his breakfast she threw down her work and her mother did the same saying foolish child but she sanctioned the child's folly by sharing it eugenie called nanon what do you want now mademoiselle nanon can we have cream by midday ah midday to be sure you can answered the old servant well let him have his coffee very strong i heard monsieur des grassins say that they make the coffee very strong in paris put in a great deal where am i to get it buy some suppose monsieur meets me he has gone to his fields i'll run then but monsieur fessard asked me yesterday if the magi had come to stay with us when i bought the wax candle all the town will know our goings-on if your father finds it out said madame grandet he is capable of beating us well let him beat us we will take his blows on our knees madame grandet for all answer raised her eyes to heaven nanon put on her hood and went off eugenie got out some clean table linen and went to fetch a few bunches of grapes which she had amused herself by hanging on a string across the attic she walked softly along the corridor so as not to waken her cousin and she could not help listening at the door to his quiet breathing sorrow is watching while he sleeps she thought she took the freshest fine leaves and arranged her dish of grapes as coquettishly as a practised housekeeper might have done and placed it triumphantly on the table she laid hands on the pears counted out by her father and piled them in a pyramid mixed with leaves she went and came and skipped and ran she would have liked to lay under contribution everything in her father's house but the keys were in his pocket nanon came back with two fresh eggs at sight of them eugenie almost hugged her round the neck the farmer from londe had them in his basket i asked him for them and he gave them to me the darling for nothing as an attention End of section four.